My name is Gareth, and this is my waste of time. Hey there, welcome back to Gareth's Waste of Time. I'm Gareth, and you join me as I'm out in the countryside of East Yorkshire walking Dolly. Now, those of you who listened to last week's or the previous podcast, what was it, two weeks ago now, you'll know that over the course of the summer holiday, my family became the proud owners of a new dog. And uh, it might have come as a little bit of a surprise to long-term waste of timers who uh, will have maybe heard my rant some time ago about dog poo and uh, careless owners letting their dog crap here and there and not cleaning it up afterwards uh, and I've become one of those people well not one of those people who lets their dogs shit all over the place I'm conscientious I carry a, a pocket full of, uh, of poo bags little plastic bags and um, clean up when my dog's done its whoopsie uh, <laughs> wherever it might be um, it's uh, it's been an interesting summer because the dog well, Dolly, she, she's here with me now, actually. Dolly, I'm going to say hello. Hello to the listener. <laughs> she's not feeling very talkative, although she certainly was when I got home from work. I think she's cottoned on to the fact that when Daddy gets home from work, she gets a walk. Because my wife gets home with the kids and looks after the kids. Sometimes the kids are happy to go out for a walk, although now the evenings are drawing in a bit. You know, we're into the autumn. They're more interested in getting online and playing Minecraft with their friends or going out visiting with their mates, going to the park and all that good stuff. And if they go out into the village to the park and, and you know, outside, that's fine with us. It's good that, uh, you know, they get a bit of exercise and some fresh air that way. We don't mind that. But often it falls to my wife or I to walk Dolly while dinner gets cooked by whoever doesn't go on the walk. And it's funny because... I never wanted a dog. I don't mind dogs and I was never a big fan of them. Growing up, I can remember being a bit frightened of dogs at times when they bark. I'd you know, get startled and I think that stayed with me. And I was never really bothered. I didn't mind other people's dogs as long as they didn't jump up at me. Uh, you know, you get that you know, the muddy paw prints on your, on your jeans. I didn't like that. And I've always been a cat person, very much, still am, first and foremost a cat lover. Oh, I've just got a text, five minutes for dinner, and I'm about ten minutes away. Oh, bugger. <laughs> it's past a bake, it'll be alright, I'll keep one. Oh, Dolly, what's that? Little vole or something's just run across the path. Did you see that? She stopped, but she's looking the wrong side of the path. I can see it going through the grass to the left. It's that side. <laughs> oh, I'm not bothering. Too much like hard work, Dad. Okay, he's still sniffing. It's there somewhere. Right, onwards. Yeah, I've always been a cat lover. And uh, but my wife and I've been for over twenty years now. Though we've been married since two thousand and four, but uh, we've been together since ninety five. So we've got a lot of history together. And she loves dogs. She's always loved dogs. She's always had dogs until she met me and. For some time we were in rented, rented accommodation and uh, weren't allowed to have dogs. 
and then when we got our own house, bought our first house together, we had a cat. Uh, so we didn't didn't have a dog. But now we're we're parents, two kids, ten and nine, and our nine-year-old, bless his heart, just in a nutshell, he suffers from anxieties, and uh, yeah, gets very very upset, works up about things sometimes, without going into great detail, but he's, he's always fancied a dog, and uh, he was trying to persuade, persuade me to get a dog, and my wife, she was, she was happy to do it, because she loves dogs, but she knew that I was the, the big obstacle, and my eldest son, he loves cats, and he'd have been quite happy just to stick with the cats. But uh, one of the things we said, well, you know, having a dog, it's a great responsibility. You've got, you've got to feed it, you've got to water it, you've got to exercise, you've got to take it out for walks. Uh, a dog won't understand that it's raining or it's a bit parky outside and you'd rather play Xbox. Uh, dog needs exercising. It's not fair. It's, it becomes part of the family and you have to do these things. And he said, oh, yeah, I promise. I will. I'll walk it. I'll walk it. <laughs> and, well... To bring it back round, here I am, cat lover, <laughs> out walking the dog at uh, quarter to six on a Monday evening. But you know, good good comes out of it. Uh, it's nice to nice to bond a bit with the dog, and you know she's lovely. Can't fault her. Um, still got the exuberance of youth. I think I may have mentioned that on the last podcast. Um, but she's learning. We, we, my wife particularly is working very hard with her to uh, to train her and uh, she's doing very well and so's the dog <laughs> um it's all right she won't listen to this so uh yeah here i am out walking the dog and it's it's good to get some exercise for us both i'm mostly at a desk all day and it's good to have a bit of a ramble which ironically is what i'm doing now rambling but it's nice to be out and makes the walk go by a little bit a little bit quicker because I'm, I'm on the home stretch now, not that far from home. And uh, I just thought I'd record a little bit of an opening segment talking about the dog. And yeah, I found, I found one or two things chewed. We're going to have to, gonna have to work on that, Dolly. Yeah, leave my slippers alone. Little bleeder. <laughs> okay, well, I'll, uh, I'll speak to you in a bit. Well for you as last time when I took a break it was a few seconds it might be a couple of days for me but uh, I'll be back say bye Dolly she says bye okay I'm back it's been two weeks since I recorded that opening bit out and about rambling with the dog might do that again Nice to have something to do while Dolly's sniffing anything and everything. I realised after I pressed stop that I didn't say thanks to those of you who've said nice things after the previous podcast. I wasn't sure how I'd be received, especially after such a long time away, but I got some kind comments on Twitter and Axel tells me he's had some positive feedback too, so thanks very much. It's reassuring to get some good feedback. Of course, your comments positive or otherwise, or appreciated, you can get me on Twitter at Gareth underscore UK or an email, garethswasteoftime at gmail.com. Right, on to today's topics. 
I'd like to kick off with my reaction to the new Last Jedi trailer that went out this week. If you heard the last podcast, you'll have heard me talk a bit about my Star Wars fandom, so it'll be no surprise to learn that I was very excited to see the new trailer. My initial reaction was positive. It showed enough to give a flavour of what the film will be like, but without revealing anything that I'd consider to be a spoiler. You can always take some things with a pinch of salt anyway, because they often edit those things to give certain impressions that may not actually reflect exactly how stuff happens in the film, but while I liked the trailer, there wasn't a chewy we're home moment to give me chills. I can watch the Force Awakens trailer now, and that bit still puts a smile on my face. We didn't get anything like that this time, but there were certainly teases of great drama and tension. There were hints of Rey experiencing conflict and perhaps Kylo Ren tempting her to the dark side. It makes sense that her journey would stray close to the dividing line. Luke's did. We saw images of what looked like a flashback. The first one in the main Star Wars saga. saga. It, it seems that it seems like we'll see what happened to Luke in his Jedi training school or whatever it turns out to have been, and the betrayal by Kylo and the Knights of Ren. I'm looking forward to seeing that, actually. It's something that intrigues me the most. See what went on there. Other things, we um, we saw a clash between Finn and Captain Phasma. That looks good. The trailers have shown a First Order attack on the Resistance base, so I'm assuming that this is when they cross swords. Should be good. I'm expecting something will happen to break up the fight because I'm sure neither of those characters will be killed off just yet. Although we're being led to expect this to be a darker story than The Force Awakens, with the Resistance presumably ending up on the back foot before what I'd guess will be a final victory in the third film. Speaking of the third film, it was just after I did the last podcast that they announced J.J. Abrams will be back, will be back to write and direct episode 9. I'm not sure if I love this idea or not. He did a good job of episode 7, despite it having so many similarities and parallels to A New Hope. Part of me thinks it's fitting because we know he's set up a lot of things in TFA. Questions he says he didn't know the answers to, like the one of Ray's heritage. He now has the job of tying all those things up. But he certainly showed that he could handle Star Wars. The director changes that have been going on and the bringing in of Tony Gilroy last year to finish off Rogue One. It's, it's been unsettling at times, but Rogue One turned out well and with Ron Howard replacing Lord and Miller on the new Han Solo film. I mean, it's not like they brought in a novice filmmaker. Ron Howard has been around the block a, a good few times and knows his onions. He was close to George Lucas in the 70s at the time of the original Star Wars, so... I'm optimistic that Han Solo will turn out okay. The fact is that Star Wars is bigger than any one person, bigger than a director, and Kathleen Kennedy clearly has a very tight hold on the reins. She worked for years with Spielberg. She knows movies, and she wouldn't have been entrusted with Lucasfilm if, if they didn't have confidence in her ability to run a tight ship. She's nipped these issues in the bud and she's not afraid to ruffle some feathers to ensure a quality end product. Replacing Colin Trevorrow with J.J. Abrams, I'm sure it'll turn out to have been a good decision. As for Ryan Johnson with episode 8, he's 
He's been there throughout. No replacements, no stories of unrest in the production or at head office. I'm really pleased for him. I've been a massive fan of his since he directed my favourite Breaking Bad episode, Ozymandias. My God, that was an incredible episode of television. So, The Last Jedi trailer. Very enjoyable, even if it didn't knock my socks off. Oh, and my kids loved the glimpse of the Porg in the cockpit of the Falcon. My eldest called out, I want one of those! (laughs) Let's move on and talk about some TV, shall we? Ray Donovan. I've had a hot and cold relationship with this show. I've watched it from the start and haven't always been gripped by it. Like any show, it's had its weaker seasons. The one with Ian McShane and Katie Holmes wasn't great, even though I've loved Ian McShane since Deadwood. Leif Schreiber is a strong lead, but it's John Voight who steals the show every time. He's just just always... Great. (laughs) Wheeling and dealing, ducking and diving, always looking for the next big thing but always falling short and his son Ray has to bail him out. Their relationship has always been strained at best but this year, for a time, I thought it might have turned a corner. I'm really enjoying this latest season but, like I said, not every season has been that good and for a while I was tempted to jump off the Ray Donovan train altogether. My reason was that, as a central protagonist, Ray Donovan has never really been a very likeable guy. Earlier on, he was just an arsehole to just about everyone, cheating on his wife, not being there for his family when they needed him, putting work first, fixing things for his rich clients, sometimes by hurting people who didn't always deserve it. I thought, why am I watching a show when I don't like the main character? Credit goes to John Voight, because... Although Mickey Donovan is a screw-up, he does love his family at heart, and Voight's performance makes him such a lovable rogue. Without being too specific, spoiler-wise, stuff transpired and was revealed to give us some deep background about Ray's past and upbringing, and I started to understand why he is the way he is. He's, He's messed up and doesn't always make the best decisions, to say the least. Actually... Let's get spoilery now because I want to talk some specifics about this latest season, season five. So skip ahead, I don't know, three or four minutes if you don't want to hear about it. So this season has been structured very differently to all the previous ones. We knew Ray's wife, Abby, had been diagnosed with breast cancer. And this season starts at a time where she's evidently already died. It's all very moving and we see the fallout of an incident where where Ray's found himself on probation or something, getting counselling for his temper and violent behaviour. We get hints of what's gone on, but there are loads of gaps. But as the season's progressed, and of course we're not over yet, but we've had those gaps slowly filled in. Although Abby has died, she's still been very much a central part of the show as we've had flashbacks to show her final weeks of life as... Ray has uh, uh, struggled between doing nice things for her and trying to arrange some treatment, treatment she doesn't really want. But Ray being Ray, he has to make the decisions. What Ray wants, Ray has to get, and it leaves him making selfish decisions. Bad decisions, but for good reasons. It all culminated in a heartbreaking episode, episode 8, when we saw Abby's final moments. And they were hard to watch. 
she was with her daughter and brother-in-law at the end, them having helped her to take the pills to end her life, while Ray was off on a mission to ensure Abby could get some experimental surgery to hopefully cure her cancer, something he was able to pull off, but at the cost of an innocent life, like I said before, doing things that hurt people who've done no wrong. Selfish reasons, because Abby was adamant she didn't want the treatment. She wanted to go out on her own terms, but there's Ray making the decisions and imposing his will. Very selfish. But you could empathise with him wanting to hold on to hope if there was a chance his wife could survive. There's Ray, always the fixer, but ultimately better at fixing other people's problems than his own. And that's been a feature of, that's been a theme of the show throughout. And this time it resulted in him not being there when Abby died and he goes apeshit. It was horrible seeing him push his own daughter away, lashing out at his own family, the ones who could support him best. Like I said, a heartbreaking episode, but wonderful performances from all concerned, especially Schreiber and Paula Malcolmson. I wonder what the future holds for the Donovans now, all torn apart by this tragedy and Ray's behaviour. I've not seen the latest episode following Abby's death, so perhaps more has been revealed about that, so maybe I'll check in with you about Ray Donovan at the end of the season and see where we're at. Good season of TV, though. Elsewhere, I've started watching The Deuce. As you'll probably know, its showrunner is David Simon, creator of The Wire, an all-time favourite TV show for so many of us. The cast and crew of The Deuce oozes quality, and with the setting of the early 1970s New York City depicting the start of the modern porn industry, I was confident that this would be good, and indeed it is. Now, the show is well covered already on the DVR podcast network, so, pardon me, I won't do a deep dive now, but I I wanted to just quickly give a few thoughts. The production looks just great. The lights of the New York streets, the production design, the costumes, the hair, a feast for the eyes. And I'm not talking about the amount of flesh on display. Yes, there's a lot of nudity, but it goes with the subject matter, which itself covers multiple aspects of 1970s New York. The vice, prostitution, the drugs, the police, the corruption, organised crime, sociological issues. There's a lot going on. Much like The Wire covered multiple aspects of Baltimore over several seasons. So this seems to be covering everything as we go along. It means that it's a slow burn, there's a slow build, there's a lot to keep a track of, lots of different characters, and sometimes I find the dialogue hard to follow, which means I don't always catch every nuance of what's going on, unfortunately. And so I often find Alan Seppenwall's excellent recaps at uprocks.com a big help. At the centre of the show is James Franco playing twin brothers, one of which is far more prominently shown, and he seems to be the character we are expected to root for for the most. Uh, With Maggie Gyllenhaal's Candy, a close second. I was trying to think of her character's name. Candy. Both put in good performances, Gyllenhaal especially. I have to say, if she doesn't get an award or two over the next year, I'll be amazed. Alan Seppenwall said this, and I really agree with him, and I'm paraphrasing, but he said she does a great job of portraying a lot without saying a lot, just with her expressions and body language. 
Candy is interesting as an independent prostitute. She has no pimp, but one with aspirations of more. She's shown to have some intelligence and potential for achieving greater things as she takes her first steps into the porn industry. James Franco, meanwhile, gets to let loose in both his roles. The charisma flows freely. I was hooked after the feature-length first episode. It makes me want to watch The Godfather again, and that's never a bad thing. I'm intrigued to see how the season unfolds and what happens to these characters. It's a good show, and I heartily recommend it. This next show now, I've only watched the first three episodes so far, although all of them are on Netflix, available for a binge, but I just don't have as much time as I used to to watch all that I want to watch. It's just it's just life. <laughs> just not enough hours in the day. I'm talking about The Defenders, the culmination of the four Marvel series that Netflix have produced over the last three years or so. Of those... Daredevil is my favourite, but I also really enjoy Jessica Jones and Luke Cage, although there's been some excess baggage along the way. They're all guilty of padding their seasons somewhat. I can't say too much about Iron Fist, although I watched it. It was under sufferance. It, a real struggle. Bad writing, awful dialogue, bad acting from Finn Jones, who's just wooden and lacking in much charisma, although he is shackled by some terrible dialogue, so it's not all his fault. And now we have The Defenders, which brings all four together. I've seen the first three episodes so far, as I said, and it's had its good moments. But it's the character beats that I enjoy the most now. The fight scenes of heroes facing off endless waves of nameless and sometimes faceless enemies have long since, their lust, since lost their luster. Although the fight choreography is usually very good, Daredevil did those so well, with both both its seasons having a, a standout action fight sequence for the ages. The others just haven't really. And when the fights start now, that's when I tend to glance down at my phone, I'm afraid. I do still like the characters, though, and I'm hoping that the other three bring out the best in Iron Fist. Maybe, maybe <laughs> he'll be more interesting having Luke Cage to play off. So far, they seem to have an amusing rivalry. This season does have the benefit of Sigourney Weaver as the big bad. She's, of course, a veteran actor who doesn't need to do roles like this, so I'm assuming she's seen something other than a nice paycheck signed by Netflix. I'm hoping it bodes well for some good things to come. So far, and like I said, I've only seen the first three, so far it's been OK. The show's spread itself over all four characters, and they're only just starting to come together now. I'm sure I'll talk about this show again later on, so I'll leave that there for now. Finally, for this podcast, I'd like to talk about Star Trek Discovery. It's on Netflix week to week here in the UK. Now, my journey with Star Trek began as a child with the original series, which I enjoyed. Yes, it looks a bit dated now, but I have vivid memories of things like Spock going on a rampage, having lost control of his emotions and raging, and memories of Kirk trying to sexually assault Nurse Chapel, tribbles pouring from every orifice on the Enterprise, and, and an episode when Joan Collins guest-starred in a weird time-jumping story when the crew found themselves in America during the Great Depression. Yes... 
The original series wasn't always uplifting and often controversial. But it was a revolutionary show that pushed the, uh, the, the televisual envelope, shall we say. I can remember the next generation being a thing when I was in my early teens. One of my best friends, Ian, used to watch it. And I remember him dashing home when we'd been playing out so that he could watch it. Eventually, I got round to checking it out myself and ended up watching it every week. I stuck with it to the end and filled in the gaps of episodes that had gone before. I was now a Star Trek fan. <laughs> it was official. It was Deep Space Nine that I was really into, though. It got more serialised as it went on, and I was hooked. I really appreciated how characters were not left static throughout, like so many shows did back then. People never changed, but in DS9 they did. They evolved. There were consequences. I have fond memories of watching it with my housemates at college. Wednesday night, 6pm, without fail, we'd have beer, takeaway pizza and DS9. <laughs> Little shout out to my old housemate Paul if he's listening. Good times. And DS9 had some of my favourite episodes of any Star Trek show. I made a note of a few. The Visitor, Way of the Warrior, Empok Nor, to name but three. And of course, the amazing long-running arc of the Dominion War. That had, its, well, that had loads of really strong episodes. I loved it. Star Trek Voyager was okay. It got better as it went along, once they got to Borg space. But I struggled with Captain Janeway for a good while. Her character and portrayal just, just didn't do it for me to begin with. But while Voyager did improve, it never reached the level of DS9 for me. And neither did Enterprise. Although I really like Scott Bakula, 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 however you pronounce his surname. But I've been a fan of his from Quantum Leap. The show just never hit, it never fired on all cylinders, it never hit full speed. It, it never got to the level of Voyager at its best, never mind the other series. It did have its moments, but ultimately I remember very little about it. Jeffrey Coombs as the Andorian Shran is perhaps one memorable thing, but it's a struggle. So we went without Star Trek on the small screen for a few years. On the big screen, J.J. Abrams brought it back. I enjoy the first one, but the sequels haven't been brilliant. They're fun for a couple of hours' entertainment. They work. But I've always found it impossible to invest in them when they're completely... It, well, it... It's a completely new timeline from everything that had gone before, all that I'd invested in with the other shows over all those years. So when they mimicked the scene between Kirk and Spock from the end of Wrath of Khan for the film Into Darkness, only with roles reversed, I was completely unmoved. Completely fell flat for me, completely. I did like the other Star Trek films, though, before that. Wrath of Khan is obviously the best one, but I also really liked First Contact, I love the dark edge to it and Patrick Stewart's performance. Some great character beats in that one too. But bringing us back to 2017, we have the next series, Star Trek Discovery. Developed by Brian Fuller, someone I'm a fan of since his excellent work with Hannibal. A show tragically cut short by NBC, but one that was lucky enough to get the run that it did, given the poor ratings. Great critical acclaim though, but I digress. Fuller, unfortunately, has bailed, but his president, his presidents, <laughs> his presence is felt in these early episodes. Four have aired so far, and I'm really liking it. I love the dark edge. 
even though the early Trek series were generally bright and colourful, but it looks just amazing. The production values are excellent. It's like watching a film, such as the quality of the visuals. The pilot did an excellent job of setting up our central character, Michael Burnham, and Sonequa Martin-Green is doing a really good job in the role. The character is human, but she was brought up on Vulcan by none other than Spock's father, so I'm expecting a Spock reference or two at some stage. But this means that she's been brought up in the Vulcan way, controlling her emotions. However, what I really like is that her human nature is what it is, and she's she's not robotic, humourless and straight-faced. She's somewhere in between, and this is where the actor's performance really helps, walking that tricky line balancing the emotional human that Burnham has inside her with the Vulcan discipline that she's been raised with, it is really working for me. What's also interesting is that for once our central character isn't in charge. She's not a captain. She may end up captain at some point, but for now she's just part of the crew. She has to follow orders and fit in with her crewmates, different to previous treks where our main character is the leader. Jason Isaacs has been an intriguing part of the show so far as Captain Lorker. He seems to have been positioned in a grey area morally. He's a Starfleet captain and we know from previous treks what that involves. The principles they have to follow, the Prime Directive, which has been alluded to but not mentioned specifically by name yet. But his character is a little morally ambiguous so far. Yes, he's on the side of Starfleet and humanity but he seems prepared to break a few rules even if the decisions are morally questionable to win the war. It might be that this ends up fitting in with Burnham's character. We saw in the pilot that she's prepared to break a rule or two herself if it's ultimately what she thinks is for the best. So Lorca seems prepared to do this too. I'm sure there'll be conflict and disagreement but it does leave me feeling very optimistic. It's been pretty solid stuff so far and I've not been bored at all. I have a, a doubt or two about the, the Klingons and the way they've been portrayed. It's, they've given them a bit of a redesign and they're still very warlike. But some of the scenes, subtitled scenes, have, have gone on a little bit long and particularly in the pilot there were a lot of um, protracted scenes with Klingons speaking in Klingons basically repeating themselves over and over and it... I say I didn't get bored, but they got a little bit repetitive, so are those two things synonymous? Maybe. Episode 3 had flavours of Alien, and my aforementioned friend Paul thought it reminded him a little of Event Horizon. There have been surprises, gory moments, the most bloody visuals seen in Star Trek to date. There's been swearing, all by the human raised as a Vulcan, interestingly. You'd think cursing would be one of the easier things to control, but it seems not. It does speak to Burnham's humanity, though, that you can take the human away from humans, but you can't take the human out of the human. Is that a phrase I've just coined? <laughs> Bad English? I don't know. But you get what I'm saying. So, let's just leave it there by saying I really like Star Trek Discovery. If anything, the supporting cast needs fleshing out. Only two or three have been given much screen time, uh, screen time to speak of. So I'd say the cast of characters definitely, definitely, I'm getting my tongues, <laughs> my tongues, I've only got one. 
my tongue twisted. <laughs> the, the cast of characters definitely needs developing, but it's still early days, and this far, I have to say I'm fully on board. And with that, I'll leave it there, and ride off into another podcasting sunset. Looking out of the window, not much of a sunset today. It's a grey, windy and rainy autumnal afternoon here in Yorkshire and I've got to walk the dog later, not relishing that prospect. Anyway, I'll catch up with you soon and we'll waste some more time together. Until then, see ya.